For those of you here for the first time, as, as Pastor Elias shared there, we're doing a series called, based on a line from John's Gospel, where, John said a, uh, uh, where Jesus says a fantastic thing. He's talking about the devil and he says, the prince of this world is coming and he's got nothing on me. Remember our first week when we looked at this, when we talked about the bird sanctuary, remember? Remember? <laughs> remember what was significant about the birds? They were all free. But they didn't know it. They were all free to go, all free to fly. And so it is with believers. We're free, but so often that is not what we believe. And you see, those, those birds often have a little ring around their leg, a little tiny ring left. So when the bird moves, it's always aware that there's a little something holding it. And when Jesus says, he's got nothing on me, what he means is, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. There's nothing in my mind to hold me back. There's nothing in my conscious state that holds me. And that's why I just think it's a fantastic statement. It's a true statement of Christian freedom. And it's one that you, if you're born again, it's one that you are entitled to. And I encourage you folks, don't back off. Don't back off from Christian freedom. But fight for it. We saw this morning and over the last couple of weeks, there's the world... The flesh and the devil. Jesus was free, just to simplify it. You go into all sorts of complicated things about what Jesus was free from, but really he was free from the world, the flesh, and the devil. Those three things. This morning, we looked a little bit at the flesh, and tonight we're going to look at the world. The flesh, we looked at Galatians. And in 1 John, it's a fantastic book, absolutely excellent book. But John goes into a lot of detail about how to be free from the world. And to sum it up in one sentence, we get free from the world by walking in the light. And that's John's conclusion. Very simple conclusion, but hopefully we'll draw it out a little bit tonight. Look at 1 John then, chapter 1, and I'll read verses 5 to 7. 1 John 1, 5 to 7. And I just repeat what I said this morning, remember? South America, just seven, eight years ago, there's a church of four or 500 people led by a man called Caesar Castianus, and he reads this book, 1 John, and he realizes the power of being free from the world. And he looks at the church, and he looks at the people, and he sees that they're not free. They're bound. And he sees the freedom. And he, he calls the whole church to read it again and again. And they go to 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 250,000. Just by being set free. Just one thing. The world, the flesh, and the devil. But this was the, the modus operandi of that revival. He saw something in here. So let's look at it. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and also declare to you. God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie. And we do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Look at 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. 1 John 2 verse 15. Do not love the world. We're talking about freedom from the world. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes and the boasting of what he has and does, 
comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. And 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, where he's coming to a conclusion for your life. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one that is in you is greater than the one that is in the world. Now, we'll come back to that in a moment, but you begin to see the picture. The whole book is really about overcoming the world by walking in the light. But turn back to chapter 3 a second. <clears throat> you can't really, I can't tell anybody to read 1 John without dealing with this scripture because this is one huge scripture here. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 6. Many believers have had a lot of grief over this one line here. 1 John 3, 6. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Wow. You could read that in many versions, folks. And you know what it says? It says the same thing. It says no one who is born of God sins. Right? Kind of scary. <laughs> and many times people, you know, bring that scripture. One woman, a lovely, lovely, godly, lovely woman came to me one morning with tears in her eyes, with this scripture, with her Bible in her hands, then, Pastor, I can't be saved. I can't be saved. Look at this. Anyone who's born again, basically, is what he's saying, does not sin. Because he was born again and at a first reading. That's what it seems like, doesn't it? That's what it reads like. Read it again. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. As I say, many people over many years have had a lot of grief because of that sentence. Let me begin by saying this. I need to deal with this because 1 John contains it and it will trip you up too if you don't know how to handle it. Don't build a doctrine on one line. Rule number one, you've got a whole Bible here. Don't build a doctrine on one line. But when it comes to Christians sinning, could I, uh, there it is there. Take a look at this list. This is a list of Things that people believe or, or positions people would take when it comes to Christian sinning. Some people believe that we do not sin as believers. Some people believe, number one, anybody here believe that? You're a bunch of sinners then. <laughs> you don't believe. Okay, good. Second one, we should not sin. Anybody believe that? Hands up. Okay, that's just one or two no? Oh dear. <laughs> we will not sin. Starting to think about it, huh? We must not sin. Anybody believe that? Okay. We need not sin. We do not sin. And, of course, the last one, in light of this scripture, some people have put forth the case that we cannot sin because we're born again. But, hey, guys, if you look at actually 1 John and chapter 1, you will see the other side of this because we could go in a thousand directions with that one scripture. The first thing I'd say is don't build a doctrine on one line. The second thing I'd say is we are tripartite. We're body, soul, and spirit. And your body sins. Is, in fact, Paul calls it the body of sin. Your soul most certainly sins, but your spirit doesn't. The spirit within you is protected. It's pure. It's holy. It's God's deposit in you. So, but I don't think that's actually what John is referring to here. What John simply says is, he who continues in Christ, in the Greek, it's the continual present tense. You can't see that in the English. What he says in the Greek is actually, he who remains in Christ, doesn't budge, keeps his ground, doesn't sin. Amen. In other words, it's a conditional statement, not a categoric statement. You know, a categoric statement 
would be a statement that works all the time, never fails, every time, in all circumstances. It's not a categoric statement. Read it again. He says that no one who lives in him, there's your condition. It's a conditional statement. You understand? For those who abide in Christ, if you walk with Christ, no, you won't go into sin. And in fact, he, he backs up that very belief in chapter 1 where he says, Oh, by the way, if you do sin, we have an advocate before the Father who is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So John was aware. Do you know the right, the right answer on the list? There's several right answers. But my favorite one is need not. Because there's your freedom. There's your freedom. Anyone who is born of God need not sin because you've been set free. You've got the empowering grace of God to walk free. Amen. So, apart from that one issue, the whole book is about darkness and light, heaven and hell, and walking in the light. Can I have my next slide, please? Take a look at this. John is not confused about darkness and light. He's not confused about our direction, the way we should walk, how we should walk. And basically what happens a believer when they get saved, this is you if you're born again, you were in darkness and God saved you. He picked you up and he put you in the cleft of a rock, put you in a high place. But that's not over. It's not over. He picks you up and he puts you on the right road, the narrow road. And then the idea is that you walk in the light. You walk on. But the problem starts with Christians when they hang around at the top of that cliff. The problem starts in most believers' lives when we don't get any momentum going into the light, but remain lingering really where we should not be. In fact, I could give you a thousand stories, sadly, about that. Any Christian who, who you know, ponders around there, in a dangerous place. One guy rang me up one day, born-again guy, panicking in a hospital, rings up, he says, Pastor, I've been stabbed in the throat. Oh, goodness, what happened? Oh, mad woman, I did nothing. She stabbed me in the throat. Come, help me, pray for me. So I go to the hospital. Oh, man, big hole in his throat. Nasty. I said, well, how did, how did this happen, you know? Oh, nothing. I didn't do anything. Well, who did it? Oh, just this woman. Well, who's she? Well, she was in my place. Oh, it's a single guy. What was she doing in Europe? I was having a party. Who was at the party? Me and her. Small party then, huh? Just the two, right? Who is she? Tell me who she is. Well, it's just this girl I met. Where did you meet her? And then we get to it. In a nightclub. Ah. Darkness. The story doesn't start with a knife in your throat, friend. The story starts in the nightclub. Let's get back to it. Right. So trace the route. And the problem for so many believers, and it's a sad thing, starts by lingering around at that place where we should not be. The Christian life is most definitely, right? The way through the Gospels particularly. It's a walk. It's to walk in the light, to advance your Christian state, if you like. And it, as much as Paul says, be in the light, he says, walk in the light. And what he means by that is simply this. Walk towards the light. Walk towards the light. Don't hang around in darkness. In fact, many Christians who would hang at that place are interested in one thing only. Listen carefully. Staying out of hell. Not getting to heaven. Some people just want to stay out of hell. Tell me the minimum I need to do. And I'll linger on the cliff edge. 
as long as I stay out of hell, well, that's all right. But that denies everything in terms of ethics and principles of being a Christian, right? A Christian is saved to walk into the light. And there's ways in which we do that. Just six simple ways I've got here that you can see here in 1 John. The first thing that we need to do in walking in the light is to walk by the Word of God. And again, you don't have to look very far to see that. And David says, your, your Word is a lamp onto my feet, a light onto my path. Look, the world is a dark place, right? So where's the light? Where's the lamp? There it is right there. It's not, I, know, I know it sounds like Sunday school, walk in the light and all that, but it's incredibly important, folks. We actually do have a light. You've got it in your hand. But the sad thing is people despise that. They see it like a bit like Sunday school, you know, and then they don't utilize and then they get themselves in so much of a mess very often. What does it mean then to walk by the light of God's word? Well, it means to walk advisedly. It means that when the scripture says something, I hear it and I obey it. And I know we're very good at hearing the word, amen. But we need to obey the word, to walk advisedly. That's what it means to walk in the light. Not just to hear what I should do, but also to carry that out. A guy came to me several years ago. It was during the, the beginning of the boom, the property boom in Ireland. And he was in the process, he was thinking of selling his apartment and moving and buying another house, you know. And at that time, we had bought and sold many houses and we'd made a lot of money and he wanted to get some advice before he made his decision. So he came around and he brought all his facts and figures and he said, now look, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to sell our apartment and then I'm going to move here and I'm going to buy this house. And I looked over the figures, looked at the thing, and I wouldn't have thought if I was you. <laughs> he said, well, that's what I, well, why do you need to sell your apartment? You don't need to sell your apartment. He had, like, you know, plenty of money. You can put a deposit on your house. You're going to get a mortgage anyway. Why do you need to sell that to buy that? Keep that. Keep your apartment. Rent it out. And you're, st you're still going to put a deposit down. That way, we were in the crest of a wave, you know, and it was pretty obvious it was going to continue for a while. He said, keep your apartment, put a deposit on the house, and I would say probably four years, five years, you could have enough gain in both of those to have one completely paid off. Right? So he was looking. I said, can, can you see it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what are you going to I need to think about it. So off he goes. And I meet him a few months later. How's it going? I sold the apartment. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> Didn't take the advice then. Okay. Oh, but I can see it. I can see it. I understand what you're saying but I'm just not going to actually follow it through. In retrospect, he missed a fortune. And as I've shared with you before, we ended up debt-free in five years while he's stuck in a 25-year mortgage. That's not funny. That's very sad, isn't it? That's terrible for a believer. And I wasn't just being academic about it. I was praying about it and looking about it and giving him what I, I considered sensible, pastoral, but business-like advice and good advice too. And, and the, the markets continued to soar. Walking advisedly? No, not at all. <laughs> Seeking the advice, but then not following it. And walking in the light means the counsel of God will guide my decisions. You see, that man knew what he should do, so he came to ask for the advice but then couldn't follow it through. He knew what was right to do, but couldn't quite get the activity to follow it. 
And that's not walking in the light. That's, that's really silly. Thirdly, it means walking worthy. And this is a little bit more sacrificial, right? When it starts to hit home. I had a girl come to me one day and she said, I've got a boyfriend. Good. <laughs> Who's he then? He's a Muslim. Oh, not so good. I've got nothing against Muslims. In fact, I've got friends who are Muslims, absolute gentlemen. And no problem. She said, he's lovely. I'm sure he is. Devout. I'm sure he is. I said, let me just show you several things here. And we started to work through the light. Let's shine a bit of light on this circumstance. Your friend is a Muslim. Now, look what Paul says. Look what Jesus says about unequally yoked. Nothing against Muslims. But you're a born-again Christian. You've got the light. So this is what the Bible says. Can you see it? Oh, yeah, yeah. What are you going to do? I need time to think. And she left our church. Took off, you know. Didn't hear from her or see of her. I heard she got married to that man. And then, you know, months go by. And the, the next thing I heard of that girl was this. One of my members came in and said, You never guess what happened. I was in the supermarket going along, and this woman in a total, what's it called? Hijab, or whatever you call it. The full veil came up looking. I didn't know who it was. I don't know any Muslims. And she was going, you know, hiya, hiya. I think, who are you? She said, it's me. Hidden in the darkness. Hidden in the darkness. Ah, yeah. You knew the light. You were a child of the light. You knew what the truth was. Why did you... Go back there. That's not right. So walking in the light is an expensive thing, a sacrificial thing. You shouldn't even get into that relationship. Amen. Amen. And then you wouldn't have to get yourself out of it. Learn the rules and stick by those rules. Walking in the light means walking in accordance with this book. That's my torch. It's a dark world. I have been given a torch. I've been given a light onto my feet, a light onto my path. And there's two incidents, very clear, both of whom easily could have avoided the pain. I don't know where that girl will end up. God bless her. God help her. God save him and bring them into the kingdom. Have mercy on them, even though they've made a mistake. God bless them anyway and forgive them anyway. But you see how easy it is to say, walk in the light. It's not quite so easy to do. So it means walking by God's word, listening to the advice and obeying it. It means walking worthy of that advice. And I'm afraid it means letting the light of God show up things about you that you would really not rather see. You would really not want to see yourself and you certainly wouldn't want others to see. The light of God, believe me, will reveal things about you, I repeat, that you don't want to know. And you certainly don't want others to know. Have you ever seen those magnifying mirrors? I think the devil invented them, you know. They're terrible things. I look good in a mirror from about half a mile away when it's a small mirror in the distance. You know what I mean? But these things not only come up, but they magnify, they blow you up. It's dreadful. And you might think you're all right until you get close to one of them, right? And the light of God is a bit like that, quite uncomfortable. But if we're willing... It's a good thing to do. It's the best thing you could ever possibly do is bring yourself into the light. David said that, didn't he? Called on the light of God to search him. But trouble with us. You know what the trouble is? Soon as the light starts to search us out, soon as we become aware 
of this fault or that fault. Do you know what people do? Hide. Hide, like Adam in the garden. There was no sin in Adam, but as soon as he sinned, what did he do? In the bush. Hiding. And the natural, if you're not careful, be aware of it so you don't do it. The natural response of your flesh will be to run and hide as soon as the light shows up a problem in you. You cannot live a Christian life like that. It's not freedom. It's a trap. It's actually bondage. Because you'll keep your problems. They'll never get dealt with. going to look at that next Sunday. Right? You know, cover is a natural thing. It wasn't just Adam. And that's why we shouldn't mock Muslims or Jews or anything. You know know what a Muslim does? He gets his shawl and he tries to cover himself as he prays. Do you know what a Jew does? The very same thing. The Jew puts his hat on, puts his prayer shawl, all looking for cover. All human beings. They know the light is there. They know there's sin. And they reach for, just like Adam going in the bush, to hide from the awareness of his sin. So the Muslims, so the Jews. A Sikh even wears a turban. Something to cover myself from the light of this God who I've suddenly become aware of. He's revealing me. And I don't want to be in the light. I want to go back in the darkness. Oh, light will reveal you okay. And it will draw things out that you don't want to see and you certainly don't want others to see. C.S. Lewis, great, great guy, he told the story of when he was a child and he would get a bad tooth. And he used to say, when I got a bad tooth as a child, I wouldn't tell anybody. I would just suffer. And I would sit with the pain and the agony until my jaw started to swell. Why would you do that? Because you don't want to tell your dad, you don't want to tell your mom, because the first thing they're going to say, dentist for you. And we do that. It's a natural inclination to pull back, to try and to hide. I hate the dentist. In fact, I bite my dentists. That's not a joke. <coughs> the last one we went to, Jeanette was going. He was a good guy. So I made an appointment to see him. I said, I need to talk to the dentist, but not for an appointment. I just need to talk to him face to face. Okay. We'll go, go down to the guy. I said, hi, my name's Mike. If you do my teeth, I'll bite you. <laughs> I said, fair enough. I said, I bite all the dentists. You put that hand in my mouth, I'll bite you. Got it? He said, okay, we do have difficult customers sometimes, you know. <laughs> I said, I've bitten all my dentists and you will not be an exception. I'm warning you, if you still want to do my teeth, then I'll come in. But that, that's your said, Okay, you come ahead. This will be interesting. So I turn up. He thinks he's going to put his hand in my mouth and get away with it. What an idiot. He put his hand straight in there. I held back. I said, I don't want to bite you. I'm not going to bite you. I'm not doing it deliberately. So I'm trying my best not to bite him. Next day, I got him. Could, and I was holding him. Couldn't let him I, I wouldn't let him go. I've got his thumb and he can't get it out of my mouth. I've jammed him. You know, just something like this. And he was very nice about it, but his assistant was really nasty. And she was saying, put, put an apex on him. An apex is like a, a, you know, like a wheel brace that cranks your jaw up so you can't bite him. And they put, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but never mind. <laughs> you don't want to get your teeth done. That's what it was. The natural inclination of human nature when we know there's a problem is to shut the mouth. And don't let anybody at it. Hide it. Keep it in the darkness. Don't let the light in. And all of that is so destructive. Do you, know a bad, do you know what bad teeth do to your body? Bad kidneys, bad blood. All sorts of diseases come from your teeth, you know. Right? It's just a fact. So let God in. And point five, you need to let his healing light in, friends. 
And this doesn't apply to all of you, because not all of you maybe have, you know, deeper problems or traumatic pasts, but some of you will have. Some of you will have come from places where there's a lot of hurt and a lot of pain, a lot of trouble. And so often that stuff eventually brings a Christian down because they don't want to bring it into the light. Got one problem, not one problem, ten problems, but they won't let you, they won't let you at them, won't let you deal with them. Don't want to reveal their issues or bring their problems into the light. That's no way to live. You know the story of the boy in the, in the box? A, a boy goes out in life and he doesn't quite know how to deal with the hurts that come at him. And he goes to school, you know, and this, this guy comes up and hurts him, calls him a name. So <gasps> he's got this hurt and he doesn't know what to do with it. He thinks, I know what I'll do. I'll get a box and I'll put it in the box. And so he puts it in the box. And there we go. Close the box, walk on. He leaves school, gets a job, somebody hurts him. Oh, no! Had another one now. I know, I'll put it in the box. Box is too small. Need a bigger box. Big box. Puts the next one in. Gets married. His wife hurts him. Oh, no, that's a big one now. I need a bigger box. Bigger box. Bigger box. And the day comes up, just another hurt. And the boy climbs up on top of the box, lifts up the lid, Throws in the hurt and says, do you know what? I'm going in myself. Boom. Just shut the lid. I'll just stay in here. I'll just stay in here where it's dark. Because I don't want to deal with this stuff anymore. It's called depression. And people shut the lid on their lives. Not willing to let you know what the issue is. And God wants to open the box. Not to, you know expose you in any wrong way not to harm you not to make fun of you but to heal you you know light has healing properties right literally light has healing properties that are good for you as a as a human being and god calls us into that light don't hide don't submerge your problems and and live in there and block yourself off that's a, a demonic depressive thing horrible let god in let him lift you out of your past, whatever might hold you. Light is a wonderful thing. This, this week I saw a documentary on the beginning of time. It's absolutely fascinating. Some guy, I can't remember his name, some scientist, a physicist, got a Nobel Prize for science for discovering that in the beginning there was darkness. You know that? I thought it was amazing. And they showed you they walking up and get his Nobel Prize. I thought it was in Genesis chapter 1. <laughs> In the beginning there was darkness. That's exactly what it says. I, I, I was absolutely shocked at it. But science has just recently discovered that in the beginning, because they're looking back through Hubble, they're looking right back to the beginning of light, and this guy discovered that in the beginning all the light was probably contained, and the whole universe, the galaxies and everything in it were in darkness. And Genesis 1, verse 3 is it, in the beginning there was darkness. And God spoke, and it was formless. And God spoke and said, let there be light. Amen. All there, all the time. Science is, I mean, it is a, a, a astonishing. I, as I say, I think they're going to score own goal in these last days. Own goal after own goal after own goal. Watch it. So walking in the light mean, means walking according to God's word with this as your torch. It means not just taking it as academic advice, but actually putting it into practice, in other words, advisedly. It means walking worthy of that and making whatever sacrifice 
It may cost, and it's a costly thing. It means being willing to let the light of God in and let it show up anything in you that God wants to deal with, not for harm, but for great good. And as we began, walking in the light means walking towards the light, not hanging around on clifftops like we saw in that, but actually walking towards the light. It's not Sunday school. Far from it. You hear them, you know, walk in the light. It's not Sunday school. It's incredibly expensive, isn't it? To walk in the light and to make the proper choices. Let me finish with two examples. Someone who walked in the light correctly and someone who didn't. In the Vietnam War, there was two young men rowing down a river, two soldiers, in a boat. And all of a sudden, a grenade got lobbed into the boat. But the boat had louvers in it and the grenade fell down in the louvers. They've got about 10 seconds to make up their mind what they're going to do. And one of the men looked, looked at his friend and threw his body on top of the grenade. Boom! He died, obviously, and his friend lived. He was given a hero's you know, funeral when he got his body back. But the mum and dad of that soldier, that hero, never did meet the boy he saved. And so years went by and it was just a niggling little thought in the back of their mind. I would like to meet the man for whom my son died. I'd like to meet him and see because he gave his life for him. He must be, you know, one good guy. My son must have thought a lot of him. And years went by and in the end their curiosity got the better of them. That's a true story. They rang the army and said, we want to contact this man. They said, okay, no problem. They do some digging and they give the number. They phone the guy up and say, listen, you're, oh, of course I know. He said, we would like to invite you to dinner. Come, be a guest of honor in our home. That guy says, okay. So they get the finest affair. They set their house up. They're all prepared. They dress smart and waiting. One o'clock is going to be here soon. Man for whom my son died. One o'clock comes. Must have got stuck in the traffic, eh? Quarter past one, half past one, and then all of a sudden, a car stops outside, and out gets a drunk guy. Walks up to the door. You, Mrs. and Mrs. Yeah. I've come for for for. The, yeah, we say, okay, okay. you mind if I smoke? No, no. Come in, and he plunks himself at the dinner table. Oh, he was a great guy, yeah. Actually, I'm not that hungry. You don't mind if I don't eat, do you? No, no, it's okay. He said, actually, I've got to see some guys. I do have to shoot off, but thanks very much. All the best now. It's a true story. And I read what the father said. The father said he went to the door, and he watched the car pull off. And he said to himself, my God, my son died for that. You see, that's not walking in the light, is it? That's not walking worthy. And even though someone had given their lives, that soldier obviously had no appreciation of it. And we must never be found guilty of anything like that. Amen. But walking in the light means walking worthy of what we understand, this great sacrifice that Jesus Christ has made for me. Jesus thought that much of me. I will honor him. Walk worthy then. And another, that, that's an example of someone who did the wrong thing with walking in this world. An example of someone who did the right thing. Actually, it was Dwight L. Moody who found 
this illustration. I thought it was fantastic. Two ships, sailing ships with all the rigging and sails where one started to sink and was going down. It was pitch black. It was in the middle of the night, heavy fog, and they couldn't see. They could just hear the cries. They couldn't see a thing. And they were trying to rescue and rescue and rescue as many as they could. But many were literally dying in the water. And there was an invalid in one of the little cabins upon the ship that was doing the rescuing. And he couldn't walk and he could hear all the men swimming and throwing ropes and saving everyone outside. And he thought, praise God, I wish I could do something, anything. But he couldn't because he was an invalid. He's stuck in his cabin. And then he thought of something. He had a lantern. And there was a little portal. And he thought, you know what I could do? I could take my lamp. I know it's dark. I know it's foggy. And I could put the little light that I've got just against the window. Maybe, just maybe, someone will see that light. And that's what he did. Crawled over, gets the light, and pushes it in all the waves and holds it until everything's quiet outside. And they come into port and many people have been saved, but many have died. And they have a meeting in a church. And in the church, the people who have been rescued get up to give their testimonies, one after the other, how this person saved me, that boat saved me. And at the back, there's the invalid. And up gets one of these testimonies. And the guy says this, I was in the water. I couldn't see a thing. All I could hear was the screams. It was too dark. There was too much fog. And then I saw it. A little lantern pressed against a window. And I swam constantly for the one light that I could see. I swam and I swam and I swam. And eventually someone plucked me out. Just a little bit of light. But God used it. Let's walk worthy. Take a look at that list. And ask yourself and I ask myself about my life. I'll invite the worship team back. I ask myself about my life. What can I do to walk more adherently to this? I've got a torch, and may God help me to use it. Let's stand. Hallelujah. Lord, it is indeed a dark world out there, and I want to thank you that you have not left us without light. You've given us a, 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 a holy word here a light onto our feet, a lamp onto our path. And tonight, again, we recommit, not just to, to listen to it and to hear it, but to obey it, God. And I pray that we would not get ourselves in, in places or situations that we should not be in, but we would walk towards the light, away from darkness, every time, on all occasions, God. Lead us on, we pray. Thank you for listening to today's program. I trust you have been blessed and edified by what you've heard. I want to ask you to do something, and that is to become a partner with us here at Preparing the Way. By doing so, you can help us to take these essential messages out to many other nations, many other people around the world. You can become a partner by visiting our website, preparingtheway.tv, and there you will find many ways that you can join up. Folks, it is a pleasure and an honor to partner with you in bringing in the end times harvest. God bless you, and once again, thank you for listening.